Hi, good morning, and welcome to the midweek main point. Uh, I'm actually going to, you got the B team today. Uh, Jonathan is, uh, he's uh, busy with his wife. Uh, she's having some health issues, and they're having a follow-up appointment and those kinds of things. Uh, so he's doing that. Also, pray for Jonathan and his family, not only for that, um, but also Jonathan's uh, preaching on Sunday. So uh, just say say an extra prayer for Jonathan uh, today if you hear this. Um, but uh, I'm here. I'm Jeremiah. I'm going to kind of host today's podcast, and uh, Jeff is also here. Um, and Jeff is the one who preached the sermon on Sunday, and uh, Blake is also here. And uh, Jeff, on Sunday, he preached a sermon he, he titled uh, Waging War. And the sermon was basically on spiritual warfare and how how it is that uh, Christians are to to fight our battles. Um, um, so I'll just read the text and then uh, we'll kind of talk about the, the blog post and the image that kind of set everything up for uh, the text. But the text was from... Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, and I have the New King James up here. So it says this. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So that was 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3-5. And so, like I said, Jeff uh, preached on uh, Christians and how we're in a battlefield, but he used... Actually, Jeff, I'll let you just kind of give us a rundown of where the image came from and why you chose uh, that image. Well, you know, uh, it was during the time I was in my major recovery from my surgery. I couldn't go anywhere. I was in that big uh, um, device... What do you call that thing? The break. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> so I'm at home. It's so what do you do when you're home? You watch a lot of TV. You do a lot of reading, stuff like that. And so at that time, too, you know, the, the war uh, had started um, on, in February. And so, of course, that piqued my interest. So I watched a lot of that as it was happening. And um, so about I think it was about 10 days later, um, um, I got up one morning and... You know, you look at your news feed and like there was this news feed and it had a lady in camouflage getting married. I'm like, oh, I wonder what this is about. And so I started reading about it. It's this Ukraine couple that uh, had been together for 19 years. They already had a daughter. The war broke out. They both volunteered to be, you know, civilian volunteers in the army to stay and fight. And um, and so they were dressed in camouflage and she had a... a um, um, veil on and uh and so they decided we might as well go ahead and get married because they may not be be no tomorrow and um so they did it they had a chaplain there they had musicians they had a cake they had champagne they had all that stuff and when they did the image you saw it was like on the battlefield out there with everybody else dressed in camouflage and they got married. And so it really, it went viral because it had videos of it and all. And so it was a big, big story. It was on all the news and everything like that. So when I saw that, it made me start thinking about how uh, <clears throat> I know th- I know that we're called the bride of Christ and that, that imagery is used tons of times, especially in the New Testament. And um, But I've always kind of looked at that as the marriage supper of the Lamb and the, you know, the 
the ten virgins and being ready for for when the bridegroom comes and all that. So you, I always thought about the festival and the party and of course the bride adorned for her husband dressed in white and so and when I got married you know that's what it was my wife was dressed in white she comes down the aisle um, same thing with you guys and so it's this big huge celebration and coming together but when I saw that picture I, I started thinking you know really this image is really what the image of the bride probably looks like because as soon as we get married, there's another metaphor, and I used a mixed metaphor then of the warrior bride, that, that you're in combat, that you know, you're already in combat because you're born in sin, but but once you become a Christian then, then the battle even heats up more around you and that you're in this spiritual battle and you realize now your eyes are open that that is this spiritual battle out there. And so often what happens to us is um, we either we either emphasize the party at, bride and we don't really we don't really realize hey we're in a battle mm -hmm. and so we need to emphasize that hey yeah we are the bride but we're here and while we're here we're on the front lines we've got to continue to fight and uh so that's where this whole thing kind of got and um and, and, and i thought about because i know i've talked about being a soldier and all that during covid uh, but I came back to this passage here about waging war because they were you know they're waging war they're using conventional weapons stuff like that and that how we wage a different war it's a spiritual war and and then I'm uh, I knew I didn't want to preach using the armor because you already done that mm. and so I got led to this passage and uh, led to the outline to, to preach for us yeah and so um, that kind of sets up the whole sermon the rest of the sermon you talked about, what kind of war it is, what uh, how, what kind of weapons we should use to fight that war. And so that just kind of set the stage for, for the whole sermon, that, that image, this, this warrior bride. And then you said that when you Googled warrior bride, it pulled up a specific verse. We'll talk about that one in a second. It's one of my favorites. Uh, in fact, I'm doing premarital counseling. And uh, anytime you talk about... Uh, um, whether you're talking about roles in ministry or roles in the marriage or just marriage in general, um, you, you're going to read Genesis chapter 2 where, mm -hmm. where it calls uh, her, uh, Eve, the, the helper or the help me. So we'll talk about that in a second. But before you got to that point, you wanted to argue uh, about the word sarks. So mm -hmm. you wanted to talk about if, if the Bible says we walk, although we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. Because that's kind of the beginning of that of that text that you obviously you needed to define uh, flesh. Mm -hmm. So, Blake, do you think you can flesh that out? Flesh, <laughs> nice pun. That out for us nice. Uh, yeah, we'll yeah we'll talk about that here for a second. So, when the Bible speaking of like war and like as the flesh, I think of a great example. You know, you think of the wars in the past. You know, you have a person on person. You know, physical fighting going on. Um, you have combatants. You've got uh, weapons. Um, I think of in uh, I think it was World War One, like trench warfare was developed. So there's so much, you know. There's ever evolving ways to fight, and in a person-on-person -person fight, you have weapons that you use, whether it be machine guns or grenades or whatever. So, um, and the point is to win in that. But with spiritual warfare. With spiritual warfare, we're not we sh shouldn't physically fight one another because there's a pat and I can't remember where it's at off the top of my head, but it says our 
our fight is not against flesh and blood, yeah. which is the sarks that in the Greek there, but it's against principalities, evil, the devil, yeah, that's sin. The armor passage. Yeah, yeah. and so um, in Ephesians six. Yeah. So um, with that, we see that we don't fight. We shouldn't fight like maybe the rest of the world does, but we use prayer because we realize that the other person overall is not the enemy. It's sin, principality, evil, the devil. So whereas, you know, if you've got, I think of the U.S. versus um, Iraq and Afghanistan right after 9-11, we saw them as the enemy. Well, for spiritual war, we know that there's a there's a lot of invisible war going on behind, behind the scenes. I think of when um, the angel revealed it to Daniel. He was horrified yeah. in Daniel. I mean, he almost couldn't breathe. It, he went straight to the floor because of how horrific it was. But with that, we use the word. We use, you know, we use different weapons. If you, we use the word, we use prayer, things like that. And, and like the flesh way of fighting, um, without you know physical weapons is, if somebody gossips on me, well then I'm going to gossip on them. If somebody yeah. lies on me, well I'm going to tell a lie about them. If somebody uh, you know, slanders me, well, I'm going to slander them. That's fighting as the world fights. That's what yeah. the world does. Get, people want to get back at people. They want to take vengeance. But what we do is we step back and go, okay, I can be in the flesh and get angry, call you a bunch of names and talk about you, or I can take time to say, okay, something's going on with this person. I'm just going to step back, pray for them, and then pray that God maybe will open up an opportunity where I can go there and talk to them kind of diffuse the situation, apologize, whatever you need to do to continue on. Yeah. So I think I think that's kind of the whole warfare too, is, is, is that, how to live our life as Christians. But also then the spiritual warfare, the culture and Satan and everything is really trying to keep people from becoming Christians and trying yeah. to keep Christians from being Christians and living their Christian life so that other people will not become Christians. So you have that whole aspect of the... Uh, spiritual warfare point yeah and I like I like how you talked about flesh here and then you you went straight to well you defined flesh and you kind of set the stage for people understanding that you're not even you're not even in this battle you're, you're on the wrong side of the battle mm-hmm. unless you have a relationship with Jesus mm-hmm. because because what you said was it, in your definition of flesh you basically you had two kind of Phrases that I really liked. And one is that you're prone to sin. And the other one that you're opposed to God. Mm-hmm. But quickly after saying that, while we're all prone to sin, we're all opposed to God, you said, look, that's where we all were. And the Bible calls us enemies. And if we want to stick on the Ephesians passage, that's where we're literally called. Before Those of us who, who aren't don't have a relationship with Jesus or before you have had a relationship with Jesus, we're called the enemies of God. And then you said, that's what's so cool about Jesus. He died for his enemies. He died for his enemies. It's not that he died for his friends. I think Romans talks about that. It's not that he mm-hmm. he died for people who loved him or died for people who were perfect or died for his friends, but he died for sinners. He died for his enemies. And he didn't want his enemies to die. Yeah. He, without him. Without him. <laughs> yeah. And that's I mean, that's just crazy because when we talk about warfare. That's the that sets the stage. That sets the precedence for what how we fight as Christians. We don't fight like the rest of the world. I don't care how politics in the last decade have fought. 
I mean, that's they do the run the trash campaign. They don't stand on their own campaign. They don't stand on their own platform. All they do is trash the other platform. But that's not how Jesus fought. Jesus, Jesus came and he died for his enemies. Like he sacrificed himself for his enemies. And so, <clears throat> so if you if you find yourself as an enemy of God, obviously there's a remedy for that. Mm. Um, but also, Jesus is the example for how we fight our battles. And I thought that just starting there was uh, was key. Um, so then from there, uh, I already mentioned it earlier, We went, you went straight to this help meet. Yeah, I had to kind of show people how I was making this uh, the warrior connection bride. with the warrior bride. Yeah. And uh, so going back to Genesis, when, mm. when man and woman are created, you know, God uses a specific way to describe her, and it's uh, uh, Ezer Kenobi or something like that. Yeah. And uh, so I told you what the second part of the verse meant first, which was to be comparable to or like. Mm-hmm. And the first part, the help part, is the is the Ezer part, which is the Ebenezer, my stone of help or yeah. my stone of refuge, strength, and and uh, the salvation. Mm-hmm. And so then, what God was doing then was bringing Eve. If you think about it, then Adam and Eve then are co-warriors. They're there for each other to try to be on the front lines to fight the battles, which at that time they didn't have any battles yet because they hadn't sinned yet, but it was going to come. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, I didn't mention that. That just came out just now. But anyway, <laughs> so, uh, so, so you got a warrior helper similar to you, comparable to you, that you're there now you got a family and all, so your your number one job then is to protect and save and rescue and help your family. Yeah, you know, so it's it's pretty interesting how God does that. But then all the other times it is used, it's used twice in Genesis for Eve, but it's used three times for the allies of Israel who came and provided help or salvation, and then it's used the rest of the times for God in different passages where He is like the the Ebenezer, He's the the rock of salvation. He's the one that provides yeah. the help. And it's always in uh, military or conflict terms where, where Israel was fighting someone or David was fighting someone and they yeah. use this language. Well, um, th- is that a, only uh, the Old Testament? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because obviously like the Holy yeah, Spirit. Yeah, it was a Hebrew word. A yeah, Hebrew, Hebrew word. word. Yeah. So, but like the Holy Spirit, I, I would think, now I didn't, I didn't look this up, but I would think that the Septuagint would use the the same word we use for the Holy Spirit as the Comforter, Helper. Um, yeah, I, I, that would probably be... Uh, which I'm is still sure in connection would, with yeah. God. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I don't think that particular word would translate into Comforter. I think it was a different kind of... Gotcha. Yeah. Well, uh, just looking at... The only one that I looked at after the sermon was the Ebenezer passes, the Stone of Help. Um, and the reason I, I wanted to just, I was like, I remembered it, but I wanted to know kind of the details mm-hmm. around it. And it was uh, when Israel was just getting routed by the Philistines. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Saul, not Solomon, uh, who was the first? Uh, Saul. No. Okay. Samuel. Samuel. First, Samuel. Yeah, the first prophet. Yeah. Samuel, uh, Samuel was... Uh, uh, Calling, calling Israel to repent because they had went after the Bells and some other gods, the Ash, uh, I don't know. Ashtara. Yeah. yeah, the Ashtara Poles. And yeah. All that. yeah. Um, and he, call, he was calling them to repent, to turn back to God. 
Um, and then while he was having like this sermon or this call to repentance, this judgment time, uh, the Philistines actually came up against them. But God, God literally caused, it says some sort of thunderous confusion, like this loud mm-hmm. noise that caused confusion. And Israel was able to rout the Philistines. And then uh, it actually brought about peace between, well, Israel got all of their, their land back and all of their uh, cities back. And then it caused peace. That, that war, that battle actually caused peace between the Amorites and the Israelites from that point forward and especially the uh the philistines but um uh samuel he's the one who who erected this stone of help this this what we call the ebenezer mm-hmm. and the reason that's important uh for me is because like i said it, it's in my favorite hymn and i remember singing that like i was like this is like i don't like this part of the hymn because i didn't know what it meant mm-hmm. i had no idea my and like, why are we singing here? I raise my Ebony. Like yeah. some old guy. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, what does that mean? So it's it's just a Hebrew word. Yeah. Uh, and so your point was that every time this this word, the helper, this help meet, I think we would call it the help mate, um, but this helper that shows up. Um. Uh, is in the context of war, and that one's clearly in the context of war, where where God shows up and He's He's their helper, and so uh, I think I think it's appropriate that we are the the warrior bride. Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong. I've been studying. Y'all know I've been studying end time stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, somewhere I picked up that the bride is not connected to the church. Until like Revelation twenty one, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm not sure. That's that's. I read that and it, I wasn't preaching on it, and so I was like, I just kind of passed over. Like, oh, that's cool. Well, it says um, the New Jerusalem and all comes down like a bride adorned. For well, yeah, the yeah. bride is mentioned a bunch, right? Yeah. But it's not it's not equated to the church. Like we don't find out the bride is the church until Paul until like Revelation. Explain. Well, no, Paul explicitly. Says that, uh, well, he uses a comparison um, in that Ephesians passage where he says, uh, "Husbands love your wife as Christ loved yeah. the church and gave himself for her." Okay. Um, okay, so that's kind of where. So yeah. he's like, "I'm showing you this mystery." Yeah. So, so the mystery of salvation in Jesus is just like a marriage, just that intimacy. Gotcha. But Jesus uses uh, those invitation parables about the marriage supper of the Lamb mm-hmm. and all to to invite people to come be part of this yeah. and the parable of the virgins to be ready and all that. So that's, that's waiting for the bride to come for the, I mean the husband, the husband to come for the bride. So there is a lot of imagery and all, and I've done a lot of study and all that back before uh, with the weddings and all. And it's very fascinating, but it is a picture of Christ coming back then to get the mm. church. Yeah. Um, so, but that's the main picture we have of the bride in that connection. Yeah. But we we didn't have the connection that I was making with yeah. being the warrior. And that's uh, because really, if you think about it, if, if I'm just focusing on the party uh, aspect and the marriage aspect, then I'm not seeing the full picture. So I, I can become a Christian, get saved. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to hang out and just wait. Yeah. Wait for the party to start. Wait for him to come and not do anything. And I, I don't think that's what he wants us to do. I think he wants us to realize, yeah, uh, I'm coming back and you're part of this bride 
this 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 body and there's going to be this celebration all but but before we get there there's a still battle going on here yeah and that's where uh you you mentioned paul's use of a whole bunch of military mm-hmm. terms i find it interesting they're all in first timothy second timothy yeah. and i think this is why again this is conjecture and i'm i'm trusting my memory here which i shouldn't I think some scholars think that Timothy's dad was a soldier. And so, because Timothy's dad is kind of out of the picture. Right, right. Uh, by the time uh, Paul's writing, and uh, there's two women yeah, in his life. Yeah, because his mom lets him go with, go with Paul. Yeah, it's, so there's two women in his life around. who are yeah. solid. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if that if this is why, because Paul, or Paul uses so much like soldier imagery when he's talking to Timothy, who he calls his son in the faith. Mm. But that too, um, and plus he's he's being guarded and chained by soldiers as well. So he's yeah. got soldiers right there in front of him, and yeah. uh, and uh, some of his earlier mission trips, soldiers played a big role. Like he got arrested, mm-hmm. and you had the the soldier that got saved when the yep. uh, the jail the Philippian jailer, who was a soldier, and then you had the soldiers that whenever there was a riot breakout, you mm-hmm. know, he's like. Uh, once they find out he's a Roman citizen, they kind of like back off, like no, we can't. Yeah. And they actually save his life because people were to yeah. come kill him and all. So, so I think, um, uh, and he's trying to help Timothy, who's young and just starting in ministry, to realize this is a fight. And you know, his last words is, "I fought the good fight." I mean, so it shows you that from the very yeah. first time Paul became a Christian to his final days, he's it's it's warfare imagery. Yeah, I mean, and you look at Paul's uh, Paul's life. I mean, I think of, uh, you know, he suffered a shipwreck. He was snake-bitten. That's at the end of Acts. And many imprisonments. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's definitely writing to Timothy from prison here. And even in 2 Timothy 2, it says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I think that's good to remember for our spiritual warfare. It's not about like winning necessarily, but the one who enlisted us, if you will, has already won for us. Yeah. He's already won. Yeah, that. I, I think that was the passage I preached from during our COVID lockdown. I, th- I think I used that about being a soldier and used that passage as my main passage uh, during that time. I, I can't remember what I was going on. I think it was because <laughs> it was like, the lockdown and all the riots, I think all that whole warfare imagery and all was going on at that time too. So. Yeah, so I'm going to ask a tough question. One that probably some people, in fact, I know some people are wrestling with it. Because um, I know, I, I talk, just talked with someone, I won't say who, but um, I know they didn't hear the sermon. Um, but they they made a comment, something like, I don't want to have kids because I don't want to bring them into this world. Mm. Um, and so, and this this person, I, I believe, is a very strong believer. Um, I wish I could mention who it was, but I didn't ask their permission. But uh, <clears throat> they're a strong believer, and they, they're just struggling with this world right now. And, and you just made a good point, Blake. Like, Jesus has already won. Mm-hmm. But I think the tendency for Christians, and you said this earlier, the tendency for Christians is because Jesus has already won, like, why are we even trying? 
Like what's what's our motivation for for being in this fight, for being in this battle? Jesus has already won it. I'm on I'm on the good side, right? I'm going to get all the benefits of Jesus winning the battle. Like why what's my motivation for fighting that good fight? Well, I think there's a what we say is an already but not yet aspect. Obviously Christ is one versus Satan with the resurrection, but he's also coming back to win again, if you will, with his second coming. So, but with that, you have a period with the resurrection where I believe he um, bruised the head or struck the head of the serpent, which was promised in Genesis 3.15. But you also have a time period, which we call the church age, until the second coming of Christ. And there's a mission there, but with God giving a mission, Satan is going to make sure that that mission is hindered because that's just how he works. Anything God wants, Satan's going to want the opposite. So with, right now, since he has given us a mission to make disciples, to go to all the earth, um, to go to all the earth, Satan's going to do his best to make sure that that mission can't be fulfilled. And the best way for Satan to do that is to mess with the people who are trying to get the mission done. Because Satan doesn't really need to fight for lost people, if you will, because he's already got them where he wants them, you know. But when it's people who have gone against Satan and are no longer an enemy of Christ but is a child of God now, that's the ones he wants to attack. Because if he can hinder that, if he can hinder those in that mission in this time between the comings, then... That's where he gets most of his gain at. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, too, I mean, all throughout history, there's been wars, there's been famines, there's been problems. If you look at the whole world, uh, you, you, everybody in here, I think, has been on a third world country mission mission trip. Yeah. Um, and you, you go to places where the uh, uh, you're, you're living, you know, your standard of living is like dirt floor, mm. Uh, nothing to eat, sticks, you know, walls, living off a yeah. dollar or two a day kind of thing. But all these people are still having children, and people that are in the Ukraine are still having children. Um, you know, people in Muslim countries still have children. So, so the thing is, people are still bringing children into this world. And if Christians decide, hey, we're not going to bring children into the world, then uh, we're going against. First of all, God said, "Be fruitful and multiply." He wants us to to procreate but he also wants us to to be that uh co-warrior in our family so that we talk to our children and we pray for them and we lead them in the right pathway and um you know so so um it is a dangerous world out there it's terrible i mean it would be a it, it i mean it's not only just christians that's thinking about this but it's people that aren't christians mm-hmm. as well are thinking about why should we even bring children into the world mm-hmm. And um, if you don't have a plan, and if you don't have God on your side, mm-hmm. yeah, I would I would probably think the same thing. Like, why would I want to bring somebody into this world? But but the whole gospel mission is that we want to, you know, win people to Christ, win people to to the Lord. And if we have children, then we have an opportunity. If we bring them up in the admonition of the Lord, then they have a better chance of becoming a Christian than somebody who's never heard about Christ. Well, and with that, you can help your children be a 
small part in God's grand story of that redemption, of that victory. You can raise your children, like Jeff was saying, to go share the gospel, to go be a you know, go be of help to sinners, to go be a part of the answer, because um, we have the answer. And when we do have kids, our job is to make sure that, like Jeff said, they are raised up in the admonition of the Lord and to to help them see and help not sugarcoat anything and realize like, hey, look, you have about but the truths of the gospel and help them go out and do that and help them be a part of the, a and part it, of the And answer. if they didn't want to have a natural child, there's plenty of children out there that they that's already here. Yeah. You know, that you can provide love and nourishment and family life and uh, Christianity to. So, um, uh, you know, I don't have children probably never will have children uh, so it's something I don't really have to think about right now but yeah. if I was younger it may be something I would be kind of thinking in the back of my mind but I would trust God that okay you give me a ch- children and a family I'm going to do my part to try to raise them up in, in a Christian environment well, and that's like my job as a children's pastor I'm not married I don't have kids but I want them to be raised up in a way to help assist the families assist them in living in a world that is quite awful to put it nicely <laughs> Um, you know, that's to shepherd them, to lead them in in what in in the world. So Yeah, and I think not to not to bring up last week's sermon, but for me it's like okay, we've we're overcomers in this life. Uh we 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 have eternal life, but the, the fact of the matter is is eternal life exists, not just mm-hmm. this life. Mm-hmm. And so while this life is awful, it's not the end. And so for me, motivation is like like saving as many people as we can for eternal life. Because they're, I mean, just the reality of, reality of hell, like it, it exists and it's the punishment for sin. And, and that's for me, that's somewhat motivation, meaning that I want, I want there to be punishment for sin. I want what happened in Texas. I want that dude to pay for that. Like, I just do. That's yeah. called justice. And justice will be ultimately paid, I think, in heaven or hell. Um, punishment. And, and like, I, I mean, the, the, the guy's dead now, the guy who did the shooting. Um, but Jesus was still offered to him until the point of his death. Mm-hmm. But like, like I said, there's eternal life. It's not just this life. There's eternal life. And that, that's going to take us down to point two, which was we, we wage war with spiritual weapons. And the reason I, I kind of want to transition to that is because, um, well, this is fresh on our minds. The, the whole, do you know about the uh, shooting in Texas? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So most people, if you, if, you're not, if you haven't heard, uh, I'll just give you kind of a quick rundown. There was a shooting in Texas, 18-year-old uh, male um, guy gets in a wreck close to a school, and uh, he was clearly looking for a fight. He walks into a elementary school and, and uh, kills, I think the death toll is like 19 kids now and two, two teachers. teachers. Uh, on top of himself. So he, he also, uh, the police officers killed him. Um, and it's just tragic. Like, I mean, it's an elementary school. Like, it's one thing to be a middle school, high school, but golly, an elementary school. Just tragic. But our whole world 
is commenting on it. It's on social media. And what I'm noticing is, is there's a lot of talk about prayer. And Jeff mentioned prayer as one of our weapons. And so on, on point two, it's we wage war with spiritual weapons. Prayer is one of our major weapons. Well, the reason I, I think it's a pretty big topic is because Steve Kerr, who is the, it's the basketball playoffs, the NBA playoffs right now. His team was up 3-0. They lost last night, so it's 3-1. Um, but his team is the Golden State Warriors. He's the coach. Uh, and, of course, if you know, you might know Steve Kerr. He played with uh, Michael Jordan, played for the Bulls for a while as a good shooter. Um, but just a, a super famous guy. He had a platform yesterday before the game. And in his platform, he talked zero about basketball. He talked nothing about Dallas, the, the opponent they're playing against, although they were in Texas uh, to play that game. They were, they were in Dallas to play that game. But what he said was, he talked a lot about politics. He talked about senators needing to make gun gun control laws. I, I don't want to really talk about that. But what he said was, uh, and uh, um, I, did, I didn't quote it, but basically what he said was, I'm done with moments of silence. Mm. They don't do anything. I'm done with moments of silence. Mm. We need to stop. Because mm. he was like, they were going to have a moment of silence that night at the game. And he's like, what's it going to do? And... Uh, then one of my friends, the, the first time I saw the video, one of my friends from college, uh, she, who I think is a believer, I haven't, I haven't heard from her in a long time. Um, she posted that video and she had her own comment where she said, prayers are not going to stop this from happening. Mm. Straight up said that. And then another quote from some famous guy, I didn't recognize his name, but he had a kind of crazy name. Uh, he said, someone else posted this, and he said something like, there is something deeply hypocritical about praying for a problem you are unwilling to resolve. Mm. And so like, okay. like I said, these are just, this is just me this morning on my own personal social media of things I saw written about prayer. There was more. These are kind of summaries of everything I saw written and being talked about on, on prayer. And so a lot of people are up in arms Literally, I mean, there's the whole gun talk, right? Uh, we need we need to equip ourselves with with equip our teachers and stuff. But then there's a lot of talk of prayers not enough, um, which just flies in the face of basically all of Christianity. So I've talked enough about it for a second. Maybe I'll I'll talk more in a second. But I'll just kind of throw. What are y'all's thoughts on that? That uh, those were some kind of like eye-opening comments for sure because. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, kind of think of it from like a lost person's perspective. Yeah. Um, I, I, I kind of agree with that last comment. I, if you do pray about it, you should be willing to go out and do it. Now, doing the action, that's some people make that political. So I'm not trying to get political. Um, but as a Christian, praying, you know, if you're praying for somebody to get saved. Well, maybe you can be the answer to your own prayer and go share the gospel with that person, and they will get saved. Maybe, you know, you don't know until it happens. Yeah. But, um, and I heard that from Danny Aiken uh, at the seminary. He says, you know, if we're praying for an unreached people group, well, maybe you're the answer to your own prayer. Go witness to them, you know. Pack up everything leave. Go witness to them. Um that that can trickle down to the ending aspect, but with yeah. with a school shooting, I mean it's it was horrible. It was horrible. Um and 
right now forget about the politics behind it. That should it should never happen after a school shooting on either side. I don't care which side it is. But I'm a firm believer we should be praying for their comfort and praying that God would bring things to light about how things can be changed for the better. How things uh, how this can be harder in the future for this to happen. Um I I you know be an advocate for what you're praying for yeah well and you know the thing about the moment of silence is to me that's not really praying that's just taking yeah. a time out and now i'm sure there are people that may be praying during that moment of silence or if you say we're having a silent prayer which is what they used to say but now they just call it a moment of silence um and then praying um of course if we're praying and all we're praying is if we're not if we're not willing to you know the whole point about praying is we're praying to God but we also want to hear from God and so when we're praying for these things um, then God's going to expect us to, to okay so now what are you going to do about it mm-hmm. I mean we could pray all day long about everything I mean I could pray all day long that uh, Lord help me go on a mission trip I want to go on a mission trip open up a door for me to go on a mission trip but then never never click on a site never make an application, never apply for my uh, uh, my uh, passport, passport or any of that stuff. And so you're praying, but but are you going to do anything? It's kind of like the thing here when, when you're talking to somebody, hey, we're looking for somebody to do this position or we're looking for somebody to help out in this way. Uh, will you pray about it? And we really, really wanted to seriously pray about it. But a lot of people say, well, let me pray about it. And they're really not praying about it. It's just an excuse. And I think that's probably what some of these people are looking at, that they've heard about prayer and all, but sometimes that's just an excuse. Yeah. Um, but if you pray the right way in the Spirit, um, then you're really praying, like, what can we pray in this situation? Uh, we can pray for the families that were affected and healing. Uh, pray for uh, that they can find out what what caused this young man to do to do what he did, and then pray that solutions will come. And um, let's say, for example, um, through it all, they they in that community uh, they ask for people to come in and kind of help be counselors or whatever. Well, if we've been praying, you know, God to bring comfort and all that, and then they open up the door and say, hey, "We need counselors." then why wouldn't Christians then be the answer to their own prayer? Like what he was saying, and go mm-hmm. in there and say, mm-hmm. hey, I'll, I'm here. If anybody needs to talk, we'll be glad to mm-hmm. work with you. Or churches open up their, their doors and say, hey, we want to, you know, uh, bring these families in and, you know, provide for them, things like that. So so there are the prayer aspect of it, but then there is the action part that um, after you hear God and what God wants you to do, that you've got to follow up on it. Well, and I think of uh, the parable the a persistent widow in Luke 18. She was constantly, constantly coming to the judge, wanting to, um, asking and uh, searching for justice to be given to her. Um, but and the unjust judge grants it. Then the scripture says, "Well, how much more will your heavenly Father, you know, do that?" But then it ends with a uh, a little bit weird. It says. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith like this in all the earth? And if you interpret Scripture with Scripture, faith isn't, you know, faith is like, hey, it's going to produce action. It's going to produce act of praying. But 
it's also going to produce going out and asking and doing justice, seeking mercy, and walking humbly with your God. And I think that's the answer for it, especially in that uh, Texas area. I can't remember the city it's in, but with that, the Christians in that area, they have a great opportunity to come in and help counsel, help comfort, um, help point towards the person who is the Prince of Peace. And they just have a great opportunity, and we have great opportunities to support them and pray for them as they do that there. Yeah, and this uh, this gets to, I mean, it's this whole point. Wasn't just the whole point uh, on Sunday wasn't just about prayer, by the way. But uh, I just saw that in my newsfeed and thought, well, we just—I mean—that's everything we're talking about. But it's clear to me that in moments of crisis, which let's just say in moments of battle time, crisis, however you want to say it, how you fight is determined by who you're fighting for. Mm. Um, because what I hear on social media. Uh, is is this is how people want to fight? There's there's the group of people who think we should fight with more rules, like just make more laws, make more rules, um, rules regulations. That's how we're gonna fight. There's a group of people, and I'll be honest, I'm inclined myself to maybe jump in this group of people uh, who just kind of react and they they want to fight the battle the same way, like. Let's let's just get rid of all the murderers. Like it, there's a part of me that's just like, and I don't know how you'd find all the murderers, because uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's it gets really complicated. But part of me is just like I want I just want to punch this guy. I want to punch him. I want to make him pay. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's clear from the scriptures is that we have a different set of armor. We have a different set of weapons. We have a different set of rules. And we're not about fighting as Christians. We're not about fighting the way the world fights. We're not about fighting with rules and regulations. I think a lot of Christians think that's how we're supposed to fight. You fight with rules. You fight with regulations. You fight with punishment if you break the rules. But no, we fight with things like Romans 1.16 tells us we fight with the gospel because the gospel is the power. So we fight with the Actually, Jeff, give us a rundown. Yeah, I think you said... Uh, Jesus, prayer, yeah, uh, the Holy Spirit, and the gospel, and that was it. Those and God's four? word, and God's word, and then I talked about faith, love, salvation, righteousness, which is His truth and peace. All that was God's stuff that He say, "Hey, fight with this stuff." Yeah. And then, then I added the, the the big our nuclear bomb of our weapons is the gospel. That's yeah. what changes hearts, changes lives, and um, so. If, so if we have this weapon, which is the gospel, mm-hmm. that will change lives and transform people, just like those atomic particles changed and transformed into this huge weapon that changed our world, then we're not using it. <laughs> we have the answer. I mean, who knows if that kid, I don't know if that kid ever went to a church or ever heard the gospel or ever... Um, it, or maybe was he some kind of kid that maybe he went to church and they made fun of him. We just don't know. But sometimes I mean, we're, we're our own worst enemies. And so um, we want to fight like the world fights. You, we want to we legislate too. And we want to make people behave and do these things. And if, if, that's, if that's our agenda, then we're, we're missing it. You know, we can't, it's not about behavioral change. It's about life change. Yeah. Uh, eternal destination change and the only way you can do that is through 
using God's weapons, which is prayer, the Holy Spirit, the gospel, God's word, all these things. Yeah, and so when I when I hear <clears throat> Christians, and, and right now it's just, there's other controversies going on that I don't want to talk about on this podcast, but there's other, there's other just sin, sin, just tons of sin out there. There's, there's kind of two reactions. And for me, my gut reaction is always, dude, I'm so tired of this. Like, I want, I want to go home, God. Please take me home. And, and that's, I think that's healthy, right? Because, like, we, we should long for the return of Christ. But then there's another reaction of, I get, not excited, but I, I, get, I get motivated in the fact that, look, if all of this is because of sin, there's a remedy for it. There's a fix for this. Right. And so we can't be Christians can't really afford to be pessimistic about our world when we know there's a fix for the world and everyone else is out there trying to fix it. And it's like putting a Band-Aid on a broken like a like a severed leg. Mm -hmm. Like that's what they're doing. We have the actual fix. Mm -hmm. Right. We know the actual fix. But and we're sitting there watching and and participating in the Band-Aid fix and. And and I don't know. We should just be promoting Jesus and pr- putting on putting on Christ and 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 fighting the way that Jesus fought. Right, uh, this this sacrificial, peaceful, non-combative uh, Lamb who 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 uh, accomplished our salvation. And we have that power. I mean, Romans one sixteen. I didn't read it just now, uh, but I'll read it for you guys. Romans one sixteen says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel about Christ." The gospel is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jews first and also the Gentiles. The gospel is the power of God at work. That's God working. And we have this remedy. And I just, I guess as an encouragement for our podcast listeners, don't fight with the Band-Aid yeah. fix. Like, we have the real thing. And and I know Texas, right? I know there are Christians in Texas, like professing Bible-believing Christians. They're everywhere. So let's say this kid never heard the gospel. That's kind of on us, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, we can blame our society. We can blame the rules. We can blame guns. We can blame a ton of things. But, but it's our job to share the gospel. It's our job to... To like Jesus's prayer, Jesus prayed that that thy, that God's kingdom would be like earthly earthly kingdom would be like God's, and that His His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And so, if that's Jesus's prayer, like we have a we have an obligation and a duty. I hate saying obligation and duty, but we are soldiers, and soldiers have a job. Um, and so, I, I don't know. Maybe I've talked too much. Well, and the thing about it is, is this whole thing that happened is basically a manifestation in the physical of this spiritual battle we're That's talking true. about. Yeah. I mean, that kid just didn't wake up that morning, that day, and say, hey, I'm going to go shoot up this school. Something was going on spiritually in his life, in the influences that were in his life, that got him to the point where he was, he lost it and went and did that. Now, he probably had mental problems and stuff like that too, but it's just it's just manifestation of the spiritual battle we're in and, and all those kids were innocent 19 children innocent or, or what 17 children yeah uh, all you know, Nine, eight, 19 children. 8, 9 whatever and you know they're just sitting there they're in school and someone kills them 
Um, so again, if you think about it and if you extrapolate it out to the spiritual, I mean, think about all the children that are out there that need to hear the gospel. And if we're not presenting the gospel so the children can hear it, then their eternal destination is, is a eternity without God. I mean, in a way, it's almost like we're shoot, we're, we got our spiritual weapons and instead of using them to try to help people, we're not using them at all, then they're going to be lost without God too. So yeah. um, it's just really terrible when you, and, think, when you try to extrapolate it all the way out. And as a Christian, we have a great arsenal in Christ Jesus. Um, and for us not to tap into that and for to use our, our you know, to use the Spirit, um, allow the Spirit to use us, we are, we're doing our communities, we're doing our friends, people in our circles of influence a great disfavor. Um, I think of uh, Ezekiel, when he's talking about like the watchman. The watchman had a mission to warn the people. If something was come, if an enemy was coming and he warned the people and the people didn't respond, it wasn't on the, the blood watchman. Was on there. The blood was on But if the watchman saw something coming and didn't warn them, then the blood was on the watchman's hands. Mm. And that's always been a very convicting, very convicting passage. And I think Christians can use something like this to mourn lament. But a lament always goes back to God. And for us, going back to God is going to be getting back at His person, and His person is His mission into um, the world. And, I, you know, just a reminder. Let this be a reminder of, like Jeremiah said, there is a remedy, and there are, there are lost people. And the Lord's giving you everything you need to help cure the problem. Yeah, there is a third point. Uh, but I kind of want to transition to, uh, we, might, we only have a few minutes left anyways. I want to transition to the last thing you said here because, and I kind of just said it, but basically you said that, that Jesus, when he left earth, right, he left his bride, this warrior bride. Um, but you said what was kind of, like obviously that's an awesome statement. He left us. But he left us in camouflage, right? Mm -hmm. He left yeah, us to camera. fight the battle. Like he left us, like we're the ones who are supposed to go out. We're the ones who be, are the hands and feet of Jesus, right? All those texts in scripture talking about the, the church or the bride. Um, Jesus Jesus straight up says, the, the ones who give a cup of cold water in my name, those, those are the ones who belong to me. That's the church. And so... We're the hands and the feet of Jesus. We're the ones who are, are to extend grace and peace to, to everyone. And so we're still here. We're, in, uh, we're, not, we're not wolves in sheep's clothing. I think we're, we're soldiers in camouflage. Or we're just, we look like everyone else, right? We're, we're here. We're fighting the same battle as everyone else. We're here and we, we, we stick into the crowd, but it's our job to kind of uh, bring that that spiritual um, realm to to earth, and so um, the last uh, point was we wage war on a spiritual battlefield, and something I've actually been uh, reflecting on. I don't think I don't think you knew this, Jeff, but um, I've been reflecting on that phrase. Uh, 
uh, the one that says take every thought captive mm-hmm. to Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been praying that like before Bible studies and stuff because mm-hmm. it's kind of what we're doing. Um, I don't I don't want to be distracted myself. I want every thought to be under the lordship of Christ, and that's kind of the idea of point three is. Um, um, the spiritual battlefield is of the heart, mind, and soul. It's, it's, it's not about tactics and strategy, um, and how strong you are or how many how many people you have. It's a battle for the heart, mind, and the soul. And like Jeff said, there's only a few weapons that can penetrate to the heart. Um, there's there's weapons that can penetrate to the mind, sort of. Um, but not to the heart and the mm. soul, um, not the we- only the weapons of, of Jesus. And so uh, y'all can comment on that if you want. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, uh, good reminder that um, in Christ we have all that we need. I think of a, um, Psalm, Psalm 23, 1, the Lord's our leader, the Lord's our shepherd. We have all that we need. We yeah. should not want because we have all that we need in Christ Jesus, and He um, He's there to help us. Um, he even promises that in the uh, Great Commission. He says, "I'll be with you, even until the end of the age," which is a great promise. Yeah. Because until the end of that age, this age is going to put it just blatantly. It's going to suck yeah. until the end of the age comes back. But He He's going to be there with us, and that's a great promise that you're not alone in this. Um, there's no need to fear because he is one already and he was going to come and finalize that victory in his second coming. So just encourage you and just realize that Jesus is with you and he uh, he's going to be with you till, till the mission is complete. And the good thing about the Bible is the Bible is completely honest. Um, so you look at David. David was a warrior king. Uh, in fact, he said, I can't even build the temple because... You know, I, I you know I, I, I fought battles, yeah. and so Solomon was picked to choose to um, chosen to do the temple. But if you look at the Psalms and all, you'll see Psalms that are very honest and things that were going on in his mind, uh, even when he failed. You know, his repentance and stuff like that. Um, when he was when he was um, in the middle of the battle and couldn't understand what was going on, a lot of those were things happening to him that was going to be reflected to the Messiah. And so those those thoughts and all are out there. And then when you look at Paul, I mean, a lot of the passages I used in this point here, mm-hmm. I mean, Paul was brutally honest. I mean, he's like in Romans 7, if you've never read that that chapter, I didn't just encourage you to read that chapter. Uh, but don't stop at 7, go on to chapter 8 too, because he gives you the answer to all the struggle that we have when we want to do what's right and we don't, or when we... We do fight in the flesh when we know we shouldn't have, and then we how do we remedy that? Remedy that, um, and so uh, he's always honest about that. All of his struggles, you know, and so I think the the biggest thing we have to be, be is we have to be honest with people. Uh, we can't sugarcoat anything. We can't pie in the sky anything. We just say, hey, yeah, this is a cruel, terrible world. Our world's broken. And if it stays like this, we're all in trouble. But God has a plan and a purpose, and He He has a remedy for our situation, and that's to trust in Christ. And when we do, then He gives us that opportunity then to walk with Him 
And then when we face all this, uh, this battlefield for our heart, mind, and soul, uh, we're not alone. And he's given us the, the tools and everything we need to help win that battle in our own hearts, souls, and minds. And then also try to help other people win their battle as well. So um, we just have to be honest with people. Yeah. We can't. And sometimes the answer is, I just don't know. Yeah. I just don't know. Um, and so just like the Steve Kerr, I mean, I don't see what a moment of silence is doing either. It's like the people that wore the Ukraine flags. You know, I'm for Ukraine. Well, are you really for them? Would you be really for them enough that you would actually, you know, go over there and fight with them? Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of soldiers from America that went over there and started fighting because they felt like this is a fight. And their stories are out there. You can read about it and you can uh, see it. Um, so that's kind of our challenge, you know, for us as, as Christians. Okay, I can sit on the sidelines or I can get on the front lines. And when I get in the front lines, I know it's going to be a hard fought battle. And it keeps me in check. So that when I know I'm messing up, then if something's wrong with my mind or my heart, then I've got to get that right so that, you know, I can continue in the fight. Yeah. You said something really good there. You're talking about, like, knowing God has a plan. Because sometimes, like I, like I talk about those moments where we just want to give up. It's pointless. God's already won the victory for me. But I think what that screams is God's not really in control. He doesn't really have a plan um, until the end. He has a plan for the end, but he doesn't have a plan right now. And it also screams that you that you don't see yourself as a part of God's plan. And so um, we we are a part of God's plan. Like this is the plan is you and I um, on earth right now. And that's always been the plan um, is is us taking uh, making Jesus' name famous and taking His gospel to the world. So. We encourage you. I know this week has been rough emotionally uh, for a lot. Um, there's just a lot in the news. Uh, financial struggle is hitting everyone. Um, but we encourage you to to keep um, keep pushing on, to fight the good fight of faith. Uh, that way when it's the end, uh, you'll be like Paul and be able to say, I've, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race. So uh, thanks for listening. I would I would love to give you a preview of the sermon this week. Um, but Jonathan's not here to give us that preview. I believe it's going to be like a, a remembrance uh, sermon. And he actually talked to me about the text, but I don't remember which one. Like um, for Memorial Day? Yeah, like uh, what does it mean to remember? I oh, think okay. is probably what he's going to kind of, that will be his focus. I can't remember which text he was going to use, but it sounded awesome. I just can't. I can't give you too much of a buzz because I don't, I couldn't remember. But it, it, at the time, I thought that was that's going to be super good. Uh, so come back next week, um, and uh, uh, we'll It'll obviously be on a Monday next week because of Memorial Day. Yeah, Wednesday. It'll be on Wednesday next week. week. Um, so so church will be Sunday. Podcast should be uh, Wednesday. So until next time, uh, we'll catch you on the next one.